Galatians, the return of the gospel. If you were here last week, kind of laid the groundwork for the next, gosh, foreseeable future. Uh, The book of Galatians uh, is actually not a book, but a letter written by the Apostle Paul to churches in a place called Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey. And uh, Paul was the man that God used to build these churches, to start these churches, sort of one of the things that apostles do. They go, they, they, they go out, they find new places, they start new churches, and then they move on from there, going and starting and duplicating that process. And in a day before the Internet, mass transportation, I mean literally news just traveled by you know camel and donkey – and news traveled by word of mouth, and that was pretty much it. Um, it took some time. You know, today we, you know, someone in uh, halfway across the world, something happens to them, we know in a matter of minutes. War breaks out, natural disaster occur, occurs, and we hear about it almost instantaneously. That's not the day and the age in which the letter to the Galatians is written. So some time goes by, and as Paul has moved on from starting churches in Galatia, he is making his way back, and he's found that the gospel that he originally preached there has been manipulated and changed and is no longer the gospel. The Bible is is more than just a book of stories. It's more than just a book of history. It's more than just a book of morals and, and good rules and things to not do and things that makes God mad and things that make God happy. It's a story. And its primary character, the star of, this, of the Bible, is Jesus. And so as we read through the Bible, the Bible is telling us about the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. And the story is, is that we as people have sinned. We've inherited a sin nature from our great-great-great-great-great-grandparents, Adam and Eve. But even, even that inherited sin, some of you might say, well, I was born into that I can't be at fault for that. Well, even if if that were not the case, we sin on our own. Um, If you've ever raised a child and you've never taught them to lie, they find some way to learn how to lie, whether it's to protect themselves or to hide something they've done. You see children covet other people's stuff, other kids' stuff. It's it's natural. It's human nature because our sin – excuse me, our nature has been corrupted by sin. So we sin by, by nature. We sin because that's who we are. That's what our, our flesh is bent towards. And as people, we don't need just a new set of rules or a new set of habits. We need to be literally born again. We have to be changed from the inside out. The Bible says that our flesh is corrupt, that even when we try to do good stuff, eventually we go back to the bad stuff. And so we need someone who can make us new, who can make us whole, who can change us. The good news is that God is the one who has done that for us. That it's not through your own efforts, it's not through your own striving, but that while you were still sinners, while I was still a sinner, that God came in the form of Jesus, died a horrible death on a cross to pay and atone for my sins and for your sins so that I can be forgiven and be made whole in the sight of God. The Bible's clear that the sin between man and God is enmity or war. It's a gap, it's a division, and, it's, and it's, it's violent. It's not just passive, it's not just peaceful separation, it's, it's this war. Jesus' death and, and, and burial satisfies that wrath of God. 
and the righteousness that Jesus has is now your righteousness. It's not that you've done anything. It's everything that Jesus has done. This is why we call it the good news. Gospel means, means good news. We call it good news because we needed somebody to do something and somebody did something. And it was everything we needed. And so this simple gospel message that has taken me all of two minutes or three minutes to explain to you. And sure, there's more, there's more in depth that we can go into about the gospel. But that's in its purest form, that is it. Jesus is God. He comes to earth. He lives a sinless life, dies on a cross for the sins of man, conquers sin and death, resurrects three days later, ascends to be with the Father, sends the Holy Spirit to us. One day he will return. Don't, don't lose sight of that. Remember that one day Jesus will return. He is, the Bible says, in, I think it's in John 14, that he's gone to a place to prepare for us. He will be coming back. And as sure as he came once, he will be here again. As simple as that message is, in a span of about 20 years, the gospel has been changed. And we're going to explore one of those reasons why it was changed today. Let me start with an illustration. Let me continue with an illustration. How many people here have ever had a, a product, a thing, just something that, you, that was brand new, you really liked it, and as soon as you liked it, it was gone? Um, to clarify, here's, here's what pops to my, into my mind every time I think of this. Crystal Pepsi. Anybody remember Crystal Pepsi? How many people here remember Crystal Pepsi? Raise your hand. Four people. Okay, of the four people, how many of you liked it? Okay, that's the thing. See, I loved Crystal Pepsi. Nobody remembers it, first of all. And of the people who do, very select few love it. It was launched in like the early 90s, big Super Bowl ad. It was clear Pepsi. They had a Van Halen song uh, playing during the commercial. It was very progressive and contemporary, and it was clear cola. It was as though we had you know, cured polio. Like, we have clear cola? Oh, my gosh. Have you heard about that clear cola? It's amazing. I thought it was great. When I was a kid, um, there was a, a local pharmacy or drugstore called Thrifties. It's basically modern-day Rite Aid. I sound like I'm really old when I say stuff like that. But it was, it was Thrifties, and it was right down the road from my house. It was on the way home from school. And when Clear Pepsi came out, I remember I, I would take change with me to school. And on the way home, I'd buy myself a two-liter bottle of Crystal Pepsi to take home. And since nobody else liked it, it was all mine. It was great. Um, but as soon as I got – I developed that, fl that taste for it and, and kind of it became my beverage of choice, it was gone. Do you know why it was gone? Nobody liked it. <laughs> Nobody liked it except for me, Pastor Mike Kessler, because we've talked in length about this. And uh, just a select few people liked it. So what did Pepsi do? Get it out of here. We ain't making any money. We're losing money. We're not we're, – we're losing ground to Coca-Cola and other beverages. This clear cola had a small you know, revival of sorts and then was gone as quickly as it – and I was, I've been disappointed ever since. You can go on eBay and buy old bottles of Crystal Pepsi. First of all, I'm assuming that it's a bottle of water. Somebody had an old two-liter that they filled up and they're trying to make a few bucks on eBay. But even if it, you, it was the actual soda, there's no way it, was, it got any better. Um, I really enjoyed it though. The point – the reason why Pepsi got rid of it is because it didn't make any money. It's just simple mathematics. If you've ever sold a product, ever tried to sell something, um, it's – if it's not selling, then you move on. 
Let me give you one more illustration. This one's my favorite. How many people here like garage sales? Love garage sales. Someday it'll stop raining and we'll go to garage sales again. Garage sales are really weird because uh, if, you're, if you're having a garage sale, you've got to convince somebody that the junk that you don't want anymore is actually worth a lot of money. You've got to come out there with the three-legged chair and the table that's crooked and everything rolls off of it, and you've got to convince somebody that's worth purchasing. It's, it's, it's marketing. If you're not familiar with marketing but you've had a garage sale, you'll understand marketing. And not that you're lying or being devious or anything like that. That's not what I'm implying. But what I'm saying is, is, is you've got to go in and you've got to somehow show this stuff in a light where people will want to buy it. It will become attractive. Suddenly that old piece of furniture, maybe it's antique. I don't know. Maybe it was in some office here or somebody famous wrote something on it or spilled their drink on it. I don't know. This chair is, you know, it's, it's this type of wood. It's oak. It's maple. It's this. It's that. It's really sturdy and strong, and, and it's been around since the Civil War era. You've got all these reasons as to why this, this thing that you no longer want should be had by the person who's looking at it now. I think garage sales are a lot of fun. I'm one of those guys, if I ever come to your garage sale, you tell me the price, and I just give you the money. Like, I, I don't want to haggle. I don't got, nobody, nobody has time for that. I, I'm going to go in. You want 10 bucks for that? I'll give you 10 bucks for that. I'm not one of those people that's like, oh, I'll give you two, and then we spend half a day trying to get to that $5 mark. Like, you want $10? Fine. Here's $10. Give me my air hockey table. I'm leaving. So I share those stories with you to show you not only is this just human nature, but it's natural. When something is not selling or when something needs to be sold, you, you, you do whatever you can to make it more attractive. That works in every other avenue of life except the gospel. What has happened with the gospel is that in this day and in this time, the Galatians have come in and uh, – or excuse me, the, the Galatians who ha have this church, people from the outside have come in and changed the gospel because the initial – message that the pure holy message of the gospel is either unattractive or it's just too much and we've got to do something to dress it up we got to do something to sell it we got to do something to make it more attractive have you ever asked yourself why why humans love ritual we do we, we, we understand, we love lighting candles and chanting or reciting a scripted prayer. There's something about that that tells us that that's how we connect with God. We, we understand offering some type of a sacrifice, giving up something for someone who's greater than us. That goes all the way back to, to Adam and Eve and their children, Cain and Abel. They understood that they needed to bring a sacrifice to God. And they, you know one brought... Animals and one brought vegetables, and one was sufficient, one was not. We understand that. It's that base part of our nature. But the gospel comes in and obliterates that and says God has made the sacrifice. God has completed the ritual. God has done all things needed to reconcile himself to you. And for some people, that just doesn't sit well. It's like, I, I got to do something. And the Bible calls salvation a gift so that you can't boast about it. You, if, you, if you find yourself forgiven today of your sins, 
If you if today is the day where you give your life to Jesus and 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 everything, all the all the cliche, you you ask him into your heart and you and you live for Jesus from this moment on. If you give your life to Christ, it's a gift so that you can't brag about it. You can't say, well, you know, got into heaven because of all the great stuff I did. No, we can say I got into heaven because of all the great stuff Jesus did. Not what I did, but what he's done. That message doesn't sit well with people, so some people come in and they change it. And there's no difference between then uh, the people then and the people now. You'll meet people all the time. You need Jesus and. You need Jesus and this ritual. You need Jesus and this uh, form of worship. You love Jesus, but you're worshiping on Saturday? Well, I hope they let you into heaven. You know, you love Jesus, but you read the NIV? Well, pfft. Man, that's that's the nearly inspired version. That's not that's not the real Bible that Paul preached out of. I've actually met people who think that that the King James Bible was the Bible that Paul preached from. And if you know anything about the history of the King James Bible, it comes it becomes translated in about the 15th, 16th century, about 1500 years after the life of Paul. That's why that's funny. So what we've got to do is we've got to Find areas of our lives, because we're all in danger of this, of, of the gospel that's been infiltrated by outside things. We've got we've to find it and get rid of it. We have to hang on to the pure, holy, sacred, good news that God has given us. All the other stuff is frills. All the other stuff is, is unnecessary. Even some of our secondary issues, like, like the rapture. Okay, many of you hold to what's called a pre-tribulation uh, rapture. And if you don't know what that means, you probably haven't been around uh, in church for a really long time. It comes up fairly quickly. Um, the idea is, and through different scriptures, that, uh, that Jesus will first take the Christians from the earth before the last seven years of tribulation that we find in the book of Revelation. And there are folks who will say that there is that pre-tribulation rapture that will happen before the tribulation. Some say middle of the tribulation, they have their verses. Some say post, and they have their verses. And some say not at all, and they have their verses. Church, I'm not here to fall on my sword for the rapture. What I mean is I'm not going to go toe-to-toe with you over the rapture. If you have a certain held belief about the rapture, that's great. Praise God. You're reading your Bible. You know, you're, you're endeavoring to know more about Jesus. Hallelujah. <laughs> but if it comes down to going toe-to-toe, no. There's one thing that I will do that for, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it's the, the rapture is not what saves us. Creationism versus evolution is not going to save anybody. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that we were bad, but God is good and he makes us good, that's what saves people. The secondary issues... They're fun to talk about. They're good to research, and they're, I, I think they're worthwhile endeavors. But they should never come between you and sharing the gospel. If they become a roadblock, tear down the roadblock. Preach the gospel first. Make that the issue in which you stand upon. Be flexible on everything else. But on the gospel, solid rock foundation. We don't change or deviate that. So got a fancy slide here. To please God or to please man is kind of the title of our sermon today. We're going to go back to Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, just to, just to go through them so we, we read everything in context. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, 
Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Notice in just the hello. If you've ever written a letter, dear so-and-so. Paul, in the dear so-and-so part of the letter, letter, excuse me, he's already preached the gospel. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of, of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul doesn't waste ink. Paul doesn't waste paper. Paul doesn't waste time. If there's an opportunity, it's an opportunity to share the gospel. And he does so even with his opening salutation. Already he's beginning to deconstruct what the Galatian people and the Galatian churches and the, and the bad leaders, the false leaders, have built up. Moving on into verses 6 through 10, and that's where we we'll find ourselves today. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him, that is Jesus, who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Verse 10, this is where we'll end. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Let's pray because God's word is holy. Lord Jesus, we seek to not just know your word, but know the truth of your word, to be changed by it, to be wrecked by it, to be convicted by it, to be freed by it. I pray today that your word would do just that. As we read the words that Paul wrote to the Galatian church 2,000 years ago, that we'd see the truth of who you are just leaping off the pages in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Paul is amazed. Let me go back. Astonished. Verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you. Before internet, before cell phones, before texting and, and, and all of that, word of mouth did not travel as fast as it does today. We're looking at probably 20 years between the time of Paul starting this church, maybe 15 years of Paul starting this church, and this time where he's writing the letter. In our frame of mind, that's a long time. But in their day and age, that's not that long. 15 years, a decade and a half, is all it's taken for the gospel to be manipulated and changed so that there's no longer a gospel. And Paul is astonished. Later on in the book, he'll say, it's as though when we gave you the message, it was as though Christ was crucified before you. You, you knew the story. You knew the account. You knew about yourself. You knew about him and what he's done. And you've so quickly left it. You've so quickly left it behind. It goes on to say that basically Jesus plus anything is nothing. Right over here. Not that there is another one. But there are some who, are, who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Specifically in context, what was happening is is Jewish and Gentile believers were coming together, worshiping Jesus, and Judaizers, Jewish folks who, who were professing a belief in Jesus and something else, infiltrated and said, sure, you need the gospel, you need the good news, but you also need circumcision. So apparently only the men get saved. 
you need not only uh, Jesus and the gospel, but you need uh, you need to worship on this day as opposed to that day. And so what happens is these these legalisms develop. The way in which you approach God and please God and make him happy only happen as we fulfill these legalistic ritual. And so for decades of time, you have people who, you know, giving them the benefit of the doubt, who love Jesus and are trying to please him, but yet are totally engaging him in a way that is wrong. So Paul's got to go and he's got to deconstruct that and rebuild that. Jesus plus something is nothing. I want to encourage you that those natural feelings you have towards God, that I should do something, give something, sacrifice something, that not that they're dishonorable, but they do nothing to earn your salvation. If you have exercised faith in what Jesus has done on the cross, that is your salvation. That is what you need to be made right with God, that you confess that Jesus is your Lord and your Savior, that you believe that he is the Son of God, that he's the second person of the Trinity, and that he is your Savior. That is all you need to do to be saved. And the fruit of that, the the proof that that has occurred is that your life will change from then on out. You'll no longer see sin the same way. Some people will say, well, that sounds like a cheap gospel. It's a cheap gospel to people who treat it cheaply, who come in and think they're going to say a simple prayer and then be saved and then then live like hell the rest of their lives. Yeah, that, that cheapens the gospel, but that's not the gospel. The gospel is you give your life to Christ and then you give your life to Christ. It no longer belongs to you. It belongs to him. So Jesus plus something equals nothing. Gospel plus something else means no gospel at all. Now, don't get confused. If you've ever been to, to a Bible bookstore, um, Walmart even, Ollie's is a good store for Bibles, you'll find a Bible for every person on the planet. You'll have a, a military Bible, which is you know usually got camo on it. You'll have a fisherman's Bible, a hunter's Bible, a dad's Bible, a mom's Bible, a kid's Bible, a teen's Bible. A Hispanic Bible, African-American Bible, urban Bible, suburban Bible. I mean every if, – if they can market it to a certain specific group, that has happened. And that's not what we're talking about here today. There's absolutely nothing wrong with having a Bible in which someone has said, you know what? We want to put in their helps and commentary that help dads because being a dad is a great job, but it's a hard job at times. And sometimes we need the Bible. We need to know verses that speak directly to dads or husbands. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, Same thing for moms and kids and teens. We give away teen Bibles to folks uh, if they need a Bible. We give kids Bibles as well that are for kids. Um, And that's not what we're talking about today. If you find yourself with one of those Bibles, you're not in sin. What we're talking about is somebody who comes in and says, yeah, I read what the Bible says, but I'm going to add to it or take away from it. The Bible says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, but I think this is another way. No, you, you, just, you just added to and taken away from the gospel, and that's not a gospel at all. And so that's kind of where we're at. Don't, don't be afraid if you have a specific Bible. You're not in sin and error like that. So you've got to ask the first question, what is a false gospel? The Bible warns us against you know, to watch out for Satan, clever and wily, to watch out for ourselves, we're, we're, we're corrupted by sin and the flesh wants to do what it wants to do. But we're also told to watch out for false gospels and for false prophets. These are men and women and, and, and 
accounts, stories, testimonies that sound Christian, but are really not. Um, wolf in sheep's clothing is kind of the, the imagery that comes to mind. Um, they come in and it sounds similar and they're using the right verbiage that we're kind of used to as Christians, but there's something off. There's something askew. There, you may not be able to put your finger on it, but you know something's wrong. It's more than just being suspicious or, uh, or being cynical towards anybody who says anything. It's just something seems off here. And sometimes our greatest enemy within the church is not those who are totally against what we believe. It's those who take what we believe and distort it and then preach it as gospel. And there are people who won't read their Bible, and there are people who, who don't have a daily walk with Christ, and they just believe anything that's said. The Galatians were much like that. They were very zealous. They were very brave and courageous, but they would follow anything new that went by. If you've ever seen a dog fully engaged but then sees a squirrel and just takes off after it, kind of the same mentality. Like, yeah, we're right on board with the gospel. Ooh, what's that? It's shiny. Oh, look at that. That gospel sounds so much better. Let's go that way. They're still talking about Jesus. Then I'll look something else. Fifteen years down the line, the original message looks nothing like the current message. And so we've got to go back to the original message. So here are some markers to find out if you're following a false gospel. Number one, the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ is not enough. They preach a Jesus, they talk about the cross, they celebrate the resurrection, um, but they tell you that it's you need that and something else. Uh, one of the most common things is you need Jesus and you need to speak in tongues. I've had people tell me that if you don't speak in tongues, then you're probably not saved. It sounds good. It sounds legitimate, but it's unbiblical. There is no evidence of Jesus ever speaking in tongues. There's no evidence of Peter ever speaking in tongues and, and different apostles never speaking in tongues. doesn't mean that they didn't. But you can make the argument that if they didn't, or if they did, you'd think it would be mentioned somewhere. And if it wasn't, um, where does that leave us? Is speaking in tongues wrong? Absolutely not. Should everybody speak in tongues? No, the Bible's pretty clear. It's a gift that God gives out, and certain people have it, and certain people don't. If you don't have it, you're not any worse for wear. If you do have it, use it to the glory of God. So if the atoning sacrifice of Jesus is not enough, you got a bad gospel. If the gospel message says basically you can make it on your own, that Jesus is kind of your counselor, Jesus is kind of just the guy in the corner that you run to when you need him, um, but otherwise you're on your own and, but, and you're going to make it, bad gospel. We know that it's through Jesus that we'll do anything. The Bible's real, real clear that we need the Holy Spirit to guide us and direct us. Otherwise, we always bend back towards sin. We always gravitate towards that because of our flesh. One day this flesh will die and we'll inherit a new body. Praise God for that. The temptations that we feel to sin will no longer be there because of the new body God will give us. If your gospel teaches that you just need better habits or just need to be a better moral person, bad gospel. If you become a Christian, your morals will improve. Um, my wife and I were going over some of our days uh, when we were younger and um, – didn't know Jesus as well as we do now. And as we got to know Jesus better, those days started to come to an end because God was changing us. He was changing the way we viewed sin. He was changing the way we viewed life and the world. And that will happen to you as well. But to equate moralism with the sacrifice of Jesus as though they're the same 
and that God's objective was to make you a better moral person? Not true. Not biblical. False gospel. If the gospel exalts you over Jesus, that's when you run from. Jesus says it like this, that he will draw all men unto himself as he is exalted. There are gospels and false teachings that put you in the driver's seat. They make you the God of your life. They empower you to do all kinds of things. They make you the the undisputed ruler of your life. And I would just submit that you did a pretty bad job the first time. It's time to hand over the reins to somebody else, and his name is Jesus. And he knows what to do with your life better than you do. If you've gotten yourself into a mess and you've changed nothing, odds are you're going to end up in another mess. might look different. There'll probably be more pain involved, but you're going to go in another ditch. And so you need somebody else to drive. Jesus is, the gospel teaches that Jesus has come in not just to make us better people, but to change us from the inside out and to be our Lord and our Savior. Let the weight of those last two words, let them be as heavy as they need to be. Lord and Savior. He has saved you from sin and death and hell, and he is your Lord. He is your master. But he's a good Lord. He's a good master. Paul will often introduce himself as a bondservant, a willing slave. We understand slavery from the unwilling part, folks that were captured and then brought in, excuse me, brought in to do labor for other people. We understand that form of slavery. Paul says, I'm a willing slave. I went back to my master and said, look, I want to be enslaved to you forever because you're a good master. Not because you're bad, but because you're good. What or who have you listened to? Start taking, start taking stock of your life and what's been taught to you over the years. Many of you have been doing this a lot longer than me. You've heard a lot more preachers than me. You've heard a lot more evangelists than me and, and, and different men and women who have preached the gospel. But what have you taught and what have you accepted as gospel that maybe isn't gospel? Here's the good news. If it's the gospel of Jesus, it will always withstand your questioning. There are some who, who exalt the gospel of Jesus and then say, don't ask me any questions because they can't answer your questions. They've just repeated what they've been told. The gospel of Jesus, the true message of Jesus can withstand any question you have. If you have a question, ask a question. Well, what about this? What about that? My children, they ask me questions all the time. Half the time, I can't even answer. Like I, I can't even fathom that question, son. I do not know. When we get to heaven, we'll meet up and we will ask Jesus ourselves. But right now, I don't know why God chose to put you know, wings on some animals and not on others. Or why the duck-billed platypus exists and, you know, why there are eight hot dog buns in a package but ten hot dogs in a package of hot dogs. It just doesn't make sense. I get that, son. But there are some questions like, well, Dad, what about, you know, we ask Jesus into our heart, but Jesus is with God, and what about that? Oh, let's sit on the sofa. Let's crack open the Bible. Let's, Let's get nerdy about the Bible, son. Okay, Dad. And we just talk, and we talk about how the Holy Spirit has come, and he's now in us, dwelling through us. It's, uh, it withstands every question. If, you're, if your theology is bad, it won't withstand the questions. But you have to ask them anyways. Tear down anything that's not truth or gospel. Tear down anything that is wrong or false or an error. Don't beat yourself up too much. We've all been there. And the sooner you do it, the sooner you embrace the actual gospel of Jesus and walk forward and help more people and all that. The last verse, verse 10. 
For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Go back to my Crystal Pepsi story, the garage sale story. In our everyday lives, if you sell stuff, you realize there's products that sell and there's products that don't sell. And when the ones that don't sell, don't sell, you mark them down, you make them more attractive, you offer incentives, you put them out in front, you try to get people to buy those ones because a, a product on the shelf is not making you any money. Um, there are folks who take the gospel and because, doggone, it's just too simple. There's not a lot of flash and there's not a lot of, of fireworks. I, I don't know where you get that from, but there are some folks who feel that. A man by the name of E.W. Kenyon was a Pentecostal Christian, meaning he believed in the charismatic move of the Holy Spirit. But it just wasn't enough for him, so he, he mixed it and intermingled it with New Ageism because it was just too boring for him. And, and th- you know, 100 years later, we have today what's known as the prosperity gospel or prosperity theology, all because someone was too bored with the message he was finding in the Bible. Now, with products, we can, we can change those and mark them down and things like that, but we can't do that with the gospel. If you go to the Great Commission, God has called everybody, not just me, to preach the gospel. I might have the title of pastor or preacher, but we all have the duty of pastoring and preaching. Let me give you a really good example. Dads, you are called to pastor your children and your wife. I will do my best job to pastor you as you come together as a family on Sunday mornings. But we're going to get together for maybe an hour and a half at best. And the the other 150, 60 plus hours of the week, that's on you. And so you need to be reading your Bible. You need to be studying your word. And you need to be talking to your children and wife about the gospel and and, and pastoring them. Paul will say, and and if you read it the wrong way, it seems kind of arrogant. He'll say, follow me as I follow Christ. And at first glance, you're like, "What's what's so good about you, Paul? He's not bragging about himself. What he's saying is, come alongside me. Let's go together and let's follow Jesus. Dads, husbands, come alongside me. I'll pastor you and you can pastor your family. And together we will, we will pastor others and we will go forward. You might not have the title of pastor, but you have the duty of pastor and preacher. And, and you are called to preach the gospel of Jesus. When the message is rejected, don't fall for the temptation to sugarcoat it, change it, to make it more palatable to those you are speaking to. I think a good pastor and preacher, when he goes into an environment, he preaches to the people who are there. Um, when I first got here, um, the average age was older than me, but that as delicately as I can. Um, and so I couldn't preach like I would to maybe a 20-year-old guy who plays Halo all night and drinks energy drinks for breakfast. Like, just you got to know your audience. You got to know the the context of your ministry. But you can't sugarcoat it as well. You you can't trick people into loving Jesus. You can't say, "Oh, come, give your life to Jesus." It's all a bunch of muffins and flowers. And then when they get to church and be like, "Oh yeah, you just gave your whole life to him." Wait, what? You just told me Jesus wanted to forgive me. Oh, yeah, but I wanted to get you in the door. I wanted to, I wanted to check you off my list of people to be saved. And so here's all the bad news. Your life now belongs to Jesus. You were bought with a price. He's your Lord and your God now. Well, I thought I was just being forgiven. 
well, I gave you the wrong, I gave you just a fraction of the gospel. Just be truthful. Just say what you know. And when it comes time to questions that you don't know, hey, man, I'm going to have to ask my pastor. And uh, I'll give you his answers, whatever they are. Or I'll Google it later, which that's a bad idea. I'll look it up later in my Bible. Don't Google stuff. It's the worst. (laughs) Don't Google Jesus. You'll end up with all kinds of stuff. Paul says it like this. I'm here to please God, not man. Some people make a very good living, sell a lot of books and CDs and downloads and DVDs, giving a gospel that people want to hear. That's bad. Because that's not what we've been called to do. We've been called to preach the gospel boldly and in truth so that all men may be drawn into Jesus. To use the imagery that Jesus and, and that Jesus uses, he's going to be exalted and the preachers are going to preach. So imagine, if you will, Jesus high and lifted up with people all around him saying, look at Jesus, come to Jesus, meet Jesus, be forgiven by Jesus. See, that's, that's, all, a, that's all a preacher does. They're not fancy or they shouldn't be, you know, they're not whimsical. Paul will say, Paul will say, I'm not winning you over my eloquence of speech. You look at a man like Moses who stuttered. I mean, God didn't choose the guys who were slick and knew how to talk and, and all that, had proper language and that sort of thing. Like right now, I'm, I can't even talk. Like every word I'm judging that's coming out of my mouth, like, like I'm not even using proper English. So this is just proof that, that God just chooses really funny people to do really serious work. There's an old saying that God takes crooked sticks and draws straight lines. God takes crooked people, broken people, and preaches a perfect message. I think that's awesome because I'm a real crooked stick. Are you a real crooked stick? Are you a broken person? God can use you to draw a straight line, that straight line that is the gospel message of Jesus. In Romans 3 and 23, Paul says to the Roman church, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You've probably heard that before. But in context, that was as though Paul had dropped a bomb in the church that he was writing to. Here's why. He's primarily writing to Jewish believers who believe that Gentiles are dirty and unclean. That God has his favorite people, they're the Jews, and while the Gentiles try as they might, as cute as they are, just dirty and unclean. And if you're wondering what a Gentile is, a Gentile is anybody who's not a Jew. So if you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. Paul drops this bomb, all have sinned. And so for the Jewish folks, they'd be like, what? But I'm, my heritage and my family and my, no, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For Gentiles, see, we don't have that stumbling block. We hear that we're all sinners. We look at our life and go, yeah, that kind of makes sense. He kind, of, he kind of gets me, this guy. He gets me. But for the Jewish people, they were banking on things like their heritage and their lineage and their fathers and their, their, their strictness, the strict following of the law to save them. And Paul says, no, all have sinned. That's a, that just blows away everything they've ever been taught because it's the truth of the gospel. You read through the, the epistles that he wrote, you find that Paul 
especially in the book of Acts, he kept trying to go back to the Jewish folks to preach the gospel. He himself was a Jew. He had nothing against the Jewish people. As a matter of fact, he wanted to give himself in sacrifice so that the Jewish people would know Jesus. Now, that's not how it works. That was just his heart. He doesn't say this vindictively. He doesn't say it to, 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 just be, to show people that he doesn't approve of them. He says to these people whom he loves, who he, who he considers his brothers and sisters, all have sinned. Now, he could say all the Gentiles have sinned and we Jewish people, we're okay. You just keep getting circumcised and sacrificing and doing certain things and we'll be okay. Because the Jewish people would have heard that and said, oh yeah, I get that. And the message would have went off like that and everybody would have believed and he would have been done and made a good living at that. If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. If you really want to serve man, serve Christ first. Give them the gospel as you were given the gospel. The truth of the gospel. Don't sugarcoat it. Don't beat people with it. I've seen people on street corners and they just, they, it's like they have a gun, like a gospel gun to people's heads. And that wins some people into the kingdom. I see people, they, 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 they've used hell to scare people into heaven. I'm of the thought that if hell doesn't scare you, the love of God won't attract you. Hell is real and it's hot and eternity is a long time. This is not an anti-hell message. But I want you to know the God who loves you. The God who has given himself for you. And should you reject that God, then that's what awaits you, hell and damnation. But the only people who should fear that are the only ones that don't. Christians, we have no need to fear hell. We have no need to fear death. It is not for us anymore. Preach the gospel. Know the gospel. Read the gospel. Ephesians 2 and 1 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. There's a popular belief. It's called universalism. Boil it down. What it says is that in the end, somehow, some way, God saves everybody. That accept Christ, reject Christ, doesn't matter in this lifetime. If you do it here, good. But, but some, something after death, there'll be an opportunity, whether it's a purgatory type of scenario or, or, or something, there'll be an opportunity to give their life to Jesus. And they back that up with, or it comes from the, the very human understanding is how could God kill anybody? How could God damn anyone? How could God send anyone to hell? By nature, we were children of wrath. That's who we are. We are born into sin and we sin ourselves. And so it takes the God of the universe to die on our behalf, to satisfy his own wrath. See, when you, when a person goes to hell, they're not suffering the wrath of Satan. They're suffering the wrath of God. 
And God would rather suffer for you than have you suffer. The message today is not stay out of hell. It's love Jesus because he loves you first. You were a child of wrath, but here's the good news. Continuing on in that verse. Ephesians 2 and verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love which he, and with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that, any, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you don't understand first that you're a sinner, you don't understand the grace of God. Someone comes and gives you a lawnmower, and you have no grass. Not the best gift, right? Someone comes and gives you a car. Wow, a car. It's a small two-door sportster thing, and you're a family of eight. Good gift. Not really functional for your family, though, right? Someone comes and gives you ice cream and you're lactose intolerant. Not the best gift. I mean, you understand the heart and you, you appreciate that, but sort of a pointless gift. If I preach to you grace, but you don't see yourself as a sinner, the grace means nothing to you because I'm good enough. I'm okay. I'll, I'll make it in the end. I've done enough good to outweigh my bad. The Bible's clear that if you've done one thing wrong, that outweighs all of your good. The good news is that if you're in Christ Jesus, and that's a reoccurring theme throughout the New Testament, in Christ, being in Christ. If you are in Christ, that's who God the Father sees when you stand before him. Let me give you an, an analogy and we'll, we'll, or an illustration. We'll end here. So a couple years ago, my, my brother was visiting us. He'll be here next week visiting um, my brother Willie, he stayed with us for about six months. Uh, love my brother. I'm 15 years older than him, so it was a bit of a generation gap, you know. Um, a little different. I've got kids, and he's just, you know, just getting started in life. And um, so he's visiting, and uh, Ethan and Ellie adored him, right? So at the time, because Willie was there, and he's big and he's strong, um, like, hey, I want to make you move stuff. <laughs> so we got ourselves a couch. But it wasn't just like a normal couch. Um, it was a, one of those sectional couches. And it had the chaise on the end, which is French for really comfortable. And um, awesome. Love the couch. It's really big. But it was, kind of, it was kind of not fitting right in our house. But we got it in there. So one day I'm in the kitchen. And I come into the living room. And there's Willie sitting on the couch. And I'm like, where's Ethan? And my brother, not being able to lie, is grinning and smiling and not saying a word. But I still don't see Ethan, and, and Willie tells me he's hiding. I'm like, well, where is he? 
normally when four-year-olds hide, they're pretty easy to find. They're giggling, and you see their feet behind the curtains, and they're just they're learning how to hide. Praise God they can't hide all that well. Well, man, he is hiding really well. I can't find him. It's like Houdini all of a sudden. He's just gone. And uh, finally, the big reveal, Ethan was in the couch. Big flappy cushions. He's underneath it. He's small enough to where when the flap came down, it looked like the couch was perfect. He was completely enveloped in couch. He was in couch. All I saw was couch. I didn't see my son anymore. I just saw couch. And he comes flying out like, holy moly, like you really, like I was, like, I was impressed. Yeah, it's impressive. My four-year-old son just totally got one over on me. Like you're equally like, oh, but you're like, yeah, right, he's learning. He was in couch. The Bible says that we need to be in Christ. Not just a cognizance of who Jesus is, not even just a head knowledge or just a, just, okay, yeah, Jesus is God or Jesus is the one who died for my sins, but you have to be fully in Christ, invested in Christ, enveloped by Christ, in Christ Jesus. Romans 8 and 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. If you're not in Christ, the condemnation is still there. But it doesn't have to be. Today, I make the appeal to you that you would give your life to Jesus and be found in Christ. That today would be the day where you are born again. That life, it won't get easier, but man, every tear, every pain will have a purpose. God will use it for his glory and to bring you up and to make you stronger and to use you in the lives of others. For those of you who have been Christians for more than five minutes and you've gone through some trials, as sure as you've just gone through them, you meet people who are about to go through them. And you can minister to them in a way that nobody else can. You can minister to them in a way that's authentic. In a way that is, yeah, our situations are similar. There is some differences, but I kind of know what you're going through. And look, Jesus got me through it. I'm pretty sure he'll get you through it too. The things that you've done, which separate you from God, he wants to forgive you of those things so you can be reconciled to God. You'd be surprised and amazed at how many of the things that you're seeking after today all stem from the desire to have God in your life. Let's stand. You might be asking now, Pastor Tony, well, what do I do now? I get it. I heard the story. The Lord's speaking to me. Like, I heard stuff you didn't even say because God's talking to me. That's what I'm hoping for. That's what I pray for during the week as I prepare for Sunday morning. First, we sing it in two different songs. First is surrender. This is the universal sign for surrender, right? This is universally accepted as I give up. That is one of the reasons why we lift our hands while we're singing. We're surrendering. It's also a universal sign of agreement, right? If I ask you who likes Crystal Pepsi and you raise your hand with me, you agree with me. Many of you did not. But as you raise your hands, you're also agreeing with those who are raising their hands. And you're, you're agreeing with God that, yes, while, while I was still a sinner, you died for me because you love me more than you hate my sin. That you would rather die for my sin than have me die imperfectly for my own sin. So the first thing that's got to happen is surrender. You've just got to give up. 
Lord, I can't do this anymore. If you've ever, ever, if you've ever heard a real good salvation story, it usually starts there. I lived like hell, and I did this, and I did every drug, and I slept around, and, and then one day I met Jesus, and I gave up. Now, I'm not, I mean, I'm sure I'm putting a silly voice to that, but that's, that's the way it's told. And you, you see, wow, God really changed that person. They were a really bad person, and now they're, they're a bad person, but they're going the right direction now. They've given up a lot of things that most people don't give up. First is surrender. Second is, is repentance. Not a real popular word in today's church. It means turning away from your sin. First, you've got to see your sin as sin. Well, it's not sin. God wouldn't care about that. Well, but, you know, maybe it is. You need to repent of it. It's, it's literally walking the opposite direction. Repenting of your sin. Worship. That's where we sing songs. But it's not just singing songs. It's, it's giving of our tithes and offerings. It's, it's reading of the word. It's listening to the messages. It's devoting yourself to God and saying, you are everything and I am nothing. You are the best, even when I was the worst. I love you, even though the love I have for you is insufficient. God never looks down at us saying that our love is insufficient. Any of you here ever had your kids give you a gift? You could have bought it yourself. Compare it to other things, not that amazing. But you saw their heart in it, and that made it worth more than gold. That's the Father's heart. We give to God that which we have, and this is all we have, but we give it to God. It's the only thing God desires. And lastly, we allow the Lord to love us. Here's the part where I struggle. That that I don't have to do anything to make God love me. That God loves me before I've done anything. That I can go and do good works because God has called me to that, but I can't make God love me more. He's already given me everything the Bible says. He's given me his son how much more can he prove his love for me? I can tell you love God all day long. You get that, but let God love you. Read his word and and, and see what he's done for you. Read Ephesians chapter two. That God loved you. He was so rich in his mercy. He desired you more than wrath. And ask for forgiveness. That's it. It's as simple as, Lord, I'm sorry. I invite you into my life. Let's pray. Jesus, your word is good, and, and it's, our, it's my desire, and it's this church's desire to please you before we please anybody. And the gospel message in this day and age is not readily accepted. It's rejected. It's fought. And if it's not rejected and fought, it's watered down and added to and taken from. All we want to do is proclaim what is in your word today. And, and, and take up what Paul has said in verse 10, that we are here to please you and not men. And truthfully, we're going to tell the gospel to people, and they're going to just not be happy about that. There are some here today who have heard the gospel, and they're not happy about it, Lord. But that doesn't change the message. That doesn't change the truth. And I'm praying, the Holy Spirit, that you would be bigger than those feelings, that you'd be bigger than those offenses and reach the people who are lost. I want to pray with those who are here today who have never given their life to Jesus, that today would be the day that they are born again. That as, as you have spoken to them, and they don't get everything, but 
but they know something's up. And you've been speaking to them, and you've been changing them, and you've been convicting them. I pray, Lord, that this would be the day that they are born again. Your word says that's the only way we get into the kingdom. Not by doing good, but by following the one who has done the most good, and that's Jesus. Lord, be high and lifted up in this place. And in your name we pray. Amen.